Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Hello and welcome back to Still Watching Succession. I'm Richard Lawson. Oh, and I'm Sonia Soraya. Uh, and we're here today to talk about episode eight of season three, Chianti Shire. Yeah. I think I'm saying that right. Yes, the, the lost <laughs> province of the United Kingdom. Yes. <laughs> this is the penultimate episode of season three. Um, and I think this episode shifts a lot for all of the uh, various Roy family members and their the people in their orbit. Um but before we get into the meat of the episode, we wanted to go into some reader questions and theories, um, which have come to us through our email, which is stillwatchingpod at gmail.com, uh, and, or you can um, text us at subtext. You can go join subtext.com slash stillwatching or text 213-652-6717. Speaking of subtext, Sonia, I believe you have uh, some things to read for us from there. Yes. Thanks, everyone, for the text. Um I have it's always fun to see what you guys pick up on from the previous episodes. You know, this this week's episode is so nuts, but let's not forget that last week's episode was also nuts. Um so in that in that vein, um Shelley asked us um a really important question about which phone Roman's using to call his dad at the end of episode 7 at the end of Kendall's birthday party. Um and it did not hit me until I watched this episode literally 3 times. That Roman must be using the phone that Lucas peed on. Um, I don't know what other phone he would be using. I guess maybe Roman has like four phones, but it does sort of seem like in line with the episode that Roman is someone who is willing to degrade himself in this way for the company. So it all just sort of fits. If the phone didn't get destroyed by the pee, I think that's the one he's using. Uh, and some people of, of certain power do carry more than one phone. Um, I'm not going to say who. <laughs> but I one time spent a weird evening um, having drinks with, uh, among other people, an anchor for CNN who um, had two phones for the purpose of watching video of himself while he listened to it on the other phone. <laughs> so, so I wouldn't the put Roman past that kind oh, of insanity. <laughs> the lifestyles of the rich and famous. Um, all right. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of Matson, um, Lara asks us, um, "Could you guys discuss your thoughts on Lucas and what he signifies in the Succession story? He seems to portray a soulness, soullessness, and abusiveness that is extreme, even for Succession characters." Um, I'm, we're going to talk about that on this episode. I'm looking forward to digging into that. Um, and then lastly, a message from Lisa. Um, I love Succession, but the Shiv character is so wrong. A real-life Shiv would be more like Marsha or her own English mother. 
um, always elegant, calm, cool, and in control. She would never be vulgar. Um, I I love this message because I think this is this is like essentially uh, in a, a such a core theme of this episode. So we're gonna we're gonna dig into the answers to both of those um, as we talk about this episode, an episode that um, shows us a beautiful Tuscan landscape overrun by huge, disgusting black cars <laughs> climbing through, cr- crawling through the scenery, um, taking over these little towns. It's sort of uh, you know I don't know. Um, you know, the interiors of this of this episode, uh, which is all takes place at Caroline and uh, her fiance, Peter Munyon's wedding, um, are are, you know, beautiful. And at the same time, everything's sort of been given this like veneer of um, like very uniform ultra wealth. There's something so boring about their Tuscany, even though it's Tuscany, um, which is uh, has been a topic of discussion um, about, you know, this season. I, I read this really interesting piece by um Allison Herman at the Ringer about how the succession production team like works to sort of make this view of wealth actually really kind of boring to sort of demonstrate what they're kind of giving up by being in this weird bubble. Um, overall, I just felt very unpleasantly day drunk by the end of this yeah. episode. It was just like a whole bunch of awful scenes over and over. All the sun hats in the world can't uh, <laughs> save you from the glare and heat and sort of misery of this banal, <laughs> uh, you know, show of wealth. That yeah, I mean, these people have no taste, you know, yeah. and 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 um, because they don't, they're sort of transcended taste in a, in a horrible way. Um, and you know all the welcome to Toscana. It's like there's not an Italian person in sight. Like you guys aren't. <laughs> you're not like having some earthy experience in you know, in old uh, Tuscany. You're just kind of using it as backdrop as they do most things. It feels a little bit like Disney World. Um, that yeah. there was even there's even this moment late in the episode where uh, they get in their cars and drive out of like the historic city and into the sort of skyscrapers and corporate shit that's like outside the old city. That's like now actually where things happen. I thought it was like kind of a clever, a, cl- a clever kind of uh, cutting open of like why rich people going to these places. I mean, even the episode title Chianti Shire, like. This is a, a whole bunch of, of British people in this place that like doesn't belong to them and that they're sort of treating it as a playground. And I think there's something sort of interesting and subtle there. Yeah. If people want uh, a further, uh, you know, fictional looks at um, blithe, rich British people tearing through Italy, um, <laughs> I, I would really recommend I watched during quarantine um, the Merchant Ivory film A Room with a View, the adaptation. Oh. Uh, one because of my favorites. Among Ugh. many things, it's so good at showing how sort of ignorant the Grand Tour was and how these people who are just like, oh, we're in Italy, we're looking at these exotic statues of naked people and, oh, aren't these simple folk so, you know, agrarian and, and <laughs> right. true and it's just so gross. <laughs> it's and I, so, this is a continuation so of that. Yeah. It's so much. You know, I, yeah, I love that movie and it, it, it is. It's like a century later and it's very much the same thread. Um. Why don't we start talking about Lucas Matson and and Roman Roman Roy, our favorite boy, um, maybe not so favorite this uh, this week. Um, the essential sort of uh, business story for the week is that um, after making this deal with Lucas, um, Roman's sort of been riding high, but things are have become a little tentative because Matson, kind of on his own, um, as the sort of you know, tech bazillionaire that he is, um, is like gone wild on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. 
that sound who, familiar? Yeah, who who can relate? I mean, who can't relate to that, you know? But um everyone's very uh disturbed and flustered in a very I mean a very humorous way, I thought. Um that he's like tweeting eggplants and tongue emoji and uh in one of them he's like opening his mouth and like coins are coming out of them. Um to me this this seemed like a, a reference to or a, a nod to the um the sort of like infamous Elon Musk tweeting to potentially raise his stock price. And and it does seem here that the reason the Roys are so upset about this is that Matson's raising the price of what it will cost them to acquire him. Yeah. yeah. His company. Yeah. You know, and and uh, the our subtext uh, listener, um, you know, asked like how he functions in the show, and I think yes, he does represent a different kind of amorality than the Roys do. Um, but I think in the way that this show does map um, real life stuff that's happening in the world, um, it it's showing that these reclusive oddball, you know, tech guru billionaire people. They're really unreliable people to try to hop in bed with. Mm, mm. And uh, they are not just looking out for number one, but they, a lot of them function with this kind of inflated sense of even higher purpose than themselves, which is to sort of disrupt the world. And um, that disruptive, uh, you know, instinct has created some valuable things, but also, I think, personally, a lot more ruin than it has good. Uh, And um, I, I think that this guy is functioning much in that way and i think brilliantly played by alexander skarsgård those nuances of this personality that's appealing to a point and then feels very strange and off-putting and a little menacing i agree skarsgård so is so good in this like i i almost don't recognize him as you know the big little eyes guy or whatever it is that you guys have seen him in last you know he's kind of slouching he's in these adidas he's sort of um He's got this like a slight griminess to him, despite all of his wealth. Um, and I think like in terms of the contrast to the Roy's, like it's like here's this new generation of wealth that has completely different terms. Right. Um, the Roy's are like multi-generational conglomerate. Like they are so traditionally corporate. They have this like um, ar- aristocratic feeling to them, too, even though, you know, even though they do stuff that isn't their work is not particularly aristocratic. But they themselves have this um, very like landed gentry feel to him, and Matson's like uh, he's kind of like dicking around. Um, by comparison, it's it's such a different vibe. Um, so- well, yeah, I mean like, this kind of like tech entrepreneurship, and you know, I mean, a lot of these people who come from wealth, like Elon Musk, um, you know, was born into it. But right. um, but they do at long last the great you know social struggle. New money is winning out over old money. You know, old mm-hmm. money is going to be there forever, and they still wield a lot of power. But watching old money try to figure out what to do, not with, like, new money that just, like, I don't know, owns 10 car dealerships in Wisconsin, but, like, this kind of world-controlling wealth. Um, they are totally stymied as to how to manipulate that and use it to their advantage because it's a foreign entity. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they kind of, at the end of this episode reach some sort of understanding about lucas and then of course roman fucks it up but um yeah i i think it's it's a i i like that this episode uh, in this character of lucas like that they are um confronting the limits of the roy's not only power but savvy you know mm-hmm. this is a new entity for them that they really have to contend with because as shiv says like otherwise we're just like blockbuster you know right right 
Um, I just don't feel like any of the Roys know anything about Bitcoin, but I definitely right. feel like Lucas Matson knows everything about yeah. cryptocurrency. And <laughs> he definitely has his own cryptocurrency. Right, for sure. Yeah. So Roman, um, so Roman's like the guy. The Roman's the guy that the Roys are sending to go deal with Matson and to like kind of reel this big fish in. Um, but because it's his mom's wedding, um, and because uh, he's, got, I mean, he's got, he's basically Roman's basically cooking, like he's 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 cooking his little meltdown from before the episode even starts. So we've sort of seen how his like reaction to his mom's engagement to this guy. Um, on a side note, the um, so Caroline Collingwood, who's played by Harriet Walter, um, her fiance, who is named Peter Munyon, uh, who's played by Pip Torrens. Uh, to me, this is as someone who was a fan of uh, our earlier work of Jesse Armstrong, who used to work with Armando Iannucci. This is a reference to the the thick of it, where like the bumbling MP from the first season is named Peter Mannion. Um, I think Peter Munyon is an even funnier name <laughs> uh, somehow. Um, but this guy is uh, is creating crisis, like creating some sort of internal crisis for Roman. He doesn't seem to be particularly financially savvy. Um, he has four children, which Roman seems to see as some kind of competition. And then there's this anxiety that, like, Caroline hasn't signed a prenup and it's going to dilute their fortune as if they don't have enough money. Um, and then meanwhile, there's this whole thing happening with Jerry because Jerry, who's kind of Roman's, like, favorite girl on the side, is at this wedding with her public boyfriend, like, her real boyfriend, um, and you can see, like, sort of on the side, Roman's just trying to make Jerry as uncomfortable as possible. We hear Tom say, uh, tell a story about how he was trying to make Lori uncomfortable. Um, and uh, it's not, it, it, I think it comes to a head in this moment where Roman goes to see Matson again to try to get him to behave. And um, Matson says he's not interested in being acquired, but he's interested in a merger, which is obviously like a little off-brand for Logan Roy. Well, yeah, I mean that's a major seating of power, uh, you know, and and again, this mercurial oddball person who, you know, the Roy family, other than Kendall in this season, um, who who has become very public-facing deliberately, the Roy family likes to keep it close to the vest, and they they don't. They don't want to air their laundry. And, and then here is this wealthy, powerful person who is very happy to tweet out random memes and all that stuff to his legion of followers. And and um, and the idea of Waystar Royco going into 50-50 business with that guy uh, and someone who is does business in a very different way. Um, I think, you know, as you know, as the baby of the family and he is an adept maneuverer at times, I think Roman is even kind of like not sure how to handle this person and um you know yes he gets to ride a beautiful wood-sided motorboat across <laughs> i think lake como to do it so so yeah. you know th this is a, a a cushy kind of gig but um you know it, it's interesting after all of this season where we're like oh, i guess roman's winning that he 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 won himself all the way into like a huge loss essentially <laughs> Right. I mean, so he comes to comes to this board meeting with the idea of making it a merger and Logan's even on board, you know, kind of to everyone's surprise. Um, he's sort of amenable to the idea and um, horny with power. Uh, Roman takes a picture of his, I, I think, pretty aroused dick and um, tries to send it to Jerry 
uh, after she explicitly asked him not to send dick pics anymore um, and sends it to his dear old dad instead. Yeah, his dear old dad, who later is like, Roman is like, do you know what a dick pic is? And he's like, well, we own several newspapers. I think we probably invented the words. Like, you know, like, 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 I, I, there, uh, there are moments in this episode where, where Logan, you know, and actually the rest of the family were talking about their media holdings and all that. They're like, they are paying attention to the world, you know. Mm, mm. Um, but yeah, Roman, I mean, I have one time at a, my first job in New York, we had an inter-office or intra-office uh, like IM system. Mm. And I sent something very mean about a coworker that I meant for a colleague that I was friends with, but I sent it to that coworker. <laughs> uh, I was able to pass it off as a joke, and it was fine uh, because that person was an idiot. Um, but, <laughs> but, um, but like, yikes! Like, and, and and it's funny like in the show that you see that um, Roman is like sending the text. He gets an email, swipes it away, and something in that makes him send it to the wrong person. Right, And right. it's just so credible. And that after all of this pretty successful work of this season, that Roman undoes it with something like that, that 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 has his dad being like, what's wrong with you? You know, and, right. and, and, and kind of stripping him back down to the messy, weirdo, you know, interloper child uh, that, he, that he was in the beginning of the show. Um, and I think that goes to prove you know, Shiv has this scene earlier in the episode where she's like strategizing with Tom in kind of a fugue state. And she's like, I'm just going to do it. I'm smarter than everybody. You know, I I'm going to win. It's like you can you can get into the good graces of your father by doing all the work and being professional and savvy and ruthless and all that. But that cannot get rewarded. Or you can do all those things and and have it all ruined by just like, you know, revealing something true about yourself. Like there is no winning with dear old dad. Uh, ultimately, I mean, Caroline does say, you know, we wouldn't have dogs because he would just kick anything he loves to see if it'll come back. It's it's fascinating, right? Like Logan's feelings about uh sexual propriety are to me like a total black box. Like I don't really know what what his take is, you know. And and some of this episode is spent speculating like openly and pretty shittily about Logan's sex life, um, by you know his children and his ex wife, um. I I mean for me when I when I look at the Roman situation what I see is it's the cruise ship situation written small. Um here's a guy that's pretty good proving himself to be pretty good good at business. Um but the way he does it is, you know, getting horny for the CEO on Maine, <laughs> sending pictures of his erection in board meetings. Um the stuff that he says all of the time, every single like his uh, whether it's like him sucking his dad's dick or getting fucked by his dad or commenting on Shiv's pussy like this is all like toxic behavior. Right. Uh, this this dick pic situation is so is, you know, objectively humorous to send, you know, a sext of any kind to your father. But also, like, look what happens. It immediately all of the shit starts flowing downhill to Jerry. Like, maybe uh, Roman is going to have some repercussions from this from Logan. And there's definitely a little bit of like, ugh, you and your like sicko weirdo stuff. But almost immediately, Logan suggests firing Jerry or at least removing her from these very crucial meetings, even though she's the CEO um, and Shiv follows suit like really just goes after jerry is very eager to pin uh this dysfunction on her um yeah and 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 yeah. i think you know we ha we haven't seen a ton of jerry at work but she does seem to be competent you know oh 
And, oh sure, and, yeah. And 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 her one of her biggest assets is that she's not a Roy, but obviously at the end of this episode we see that that's also a huge mark against her because no matter how depraved and fucked up and stupid these kids act, Logan is going to side with them in some way in the end and and i think that that shows his limits you know that these people fancy themselves these you know these puppet masters of the world and yet they have so many blind spots and biases that really are ultimately thwarting them um every step of the way uh and uh that you know if you if you want to talk about like nature versus nurture like that all falls on logan (laughs) the fact Mm. that, that all these kids are so messed up is on him you know, because as we learn in this episode, like Caroline, the mom, was absent, which yes had its own effects. But like these kids were in in some senses raised by Logan from adolescence on, and uh, and look what he's you know <laughs> look what he made of it. Mm-hmm. I felt I I mean and and I I felt that Logan at the end of this episode was disappointed in all of his children. Um and and maybe there's some self realization there, and and probably there's not a lot. Um. But yeah, let's let's shift to Caroline because holy shit, that conversation she has with Shiv is so revelatory and it's like like she Shiv even makes a joke before she goes to talk to her mom. She says, "Oh, it's going to be like the house of flying daggers. Like, what's the yeah. state of what's the state of your relationship? Are you going to have kids?" And you know, it's funny. Like Shiv's name has this like pointed object, you know, uh built in um and it's funny that she would like bring it up as flying daggers because then throughout this conversation which is awful like barbed like ruthless accusations flying left and right caroline even says oh you always knew how to twist the knife like it's uh this like really like pointy edge driving into the other person is uh very present in this uh not super tender relationship you are my onion oh yeah you know the 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 idea that that any any emotion has to be sort of coaxed out by some foreign element like and that shiv is that for caroline and caroline is that for shiv i mean it's it's i think there is some mutual i don't know it's not affection exactly but there's something passing between them in that scene under way underneath the surface um that i think rescues it from just outright uh bleakness but but for the most part yeah like uh, it's such an instructive conversation because we we see that Shiv is not just contending with her awful brothers and her awful father and, and, and trying some, for some reason, trying to like win and win them over, but that she has deep resentment for the only woman in her life who kind of left, let her go and kind of threw her to the wolves, you know, Um, Caroline herself is kind of a wolf, but um yeah, it 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 felt like such a nice um, follow up to where we found Shiv at the end of last week's episode, where you know, and at the beginning of this episode, where she's depressed and feeling jilted, uh, and then we kind of learn more about why that is at root. Yeah, it was the it was a very very revealing ep- uh, conversation between the two, um, and you know, to go back to um, our our reader note about what what Shiv would be like, um, shouldn't she be more like her own English mother? I thought this was. Um, kind of preempting that that question with showing us that Shiv's uh relationship with her mother is very distant. Um, she wasn't really raised by that 
with someone who was uh, modeling that feminine power that she's, you know, sort of trying to to um, to take on now. Um, and in this moment, Caroline is also um, a very vulnerable version of herself. Like this is probably not the mom that Shiv was used to when uh, she was growing up because Caroline's in this relationship with a guy who is like not good at spending money, but I mean, not good at making money, but still insisting on throwing her this like lavish Tuscan wedding. And every all her kids keep saying like, oh, like, aren't you, you know, aren't you worried about a prenup? And she's like, he's not going to throw me over. Like, this is about something else. Maybe she's wrong, you know, about about Peter Munyon's like ultimate uh, ultimate goals. But I felt this is a Caroline who's like a little bit romantically swept off of her feet. Like she's she's not the sort of um, rigid iceberg that I think she's been in the past. And what she's saying to Shiv is, I, yes, I failed you, but also you hurt me and I tried. And those are things that are so hard to hear from a parent. Like you don't really want to like, you know, you're you're the kid. You're the one that acts out. You don't want your parent side of the story. You know, you just kind of want them to be there for you. Um, and I think Caroline very much is trying to speak to her daughter as an adult and say, like, I've been in your position. Like, I have been married and at the top of the world and thinking about what my life was going to be next. And I made mistakes. And it's like way more than Shiv can handle. Like Shiv cannot handle this conversation. <laughs> no. And I think that, you know, and 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 Caroline says to to Roman about like, well what am I what am I gonna do? Just go to memorial services and like I, I need something. You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, like yes, he's she says like isn't he kind of awful or whatever. Like <laughs> like she knows that Peter Munyon is kind of a, a dope, but like but he's somebody. And I think that what really vexes her children uh when, when they regard her is like in some way she kind of figured out what to do with all this money which is just like be rich and stupid and you know fuck up and <laughs> and marry people all the time and you know like and, and and why are they struggling to you know take the throne and all this stuff when they could just be in some gaudy tuscan villa marrying some idiot and and just kind of smoking their cigarettes and going to stupid bachelorette parties like like caroline after you know probably decades of error did sort of work out how to best live this bizarre life that they all are in you know and and i think that that sort of possibility of just kind of giving up um is really threatening but maybe also a tiny bit alluring um to caroline's kids yeah yeah um i i have to say that this sort of, you know, window into the Caroline and Logan divorce proceedings is also, it sounds not good, what was happening there. I mean, Logan wasn't going to let his children have shares in the company if Caroline got custody. That's that's a little crazy. I mean, that's a really a, a vengeful thing to do to your own children. I mean, he's essentially, you know, driving a wedge between the children and their mother financially um, because he can. Yeah. I, I do wonder, though, you know, Caroline saying that, well, I, I, I let him have custody because I was ensuring your position and your legacy. I, I wonder if maybe there's a little bit of like, that's the excuse she tells herself, mm, you know, mm, mm. Um, because she follows it up pretty immediately with like, I never should have had children. Uh, right. Right. And and I, I, I wonder if she's like, yeah, and maybe there is truth to the fact that Logan was going to be that vindictive um, if he didn't get custody of the kids. 
but maybe also Caroline kind of let that vindictiveness be her excuse to um, eschew, you know, motherhood in a more traditional sense. Either way, you can see that there's real wounds um, yeah. there and, and wounds that are being reopened, I think, in this conversation. Um, and I think what's what's interesting is that even from our perspective, where we can't fully understand everything that Shiv and Caroline are touching on in this conversation, what we do see is that from the moment this conversation ends, Shiv's character is like going in a completely different direction. Um, some she's she's been you know ruthless throughout this season. She somehow ends up becoming <laughs> like even more pointy and 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 cold and kind of cruel. Um, from here on out. Yeah, I mean the scene with Tom that is a very pained <laughs> seduction or, or whatever, where she's like, "I don't love you. Like you're not good enough for me." Echoing the way that they were teasing Greg about uh comfrey um that was a return to sort of their sexual dynamic to- uh, tom and shiv from earlier seasons um and he feels sort of blindsided by it but kind of goes along with it and then wants to talk about it later and and yeah shiv is just i i think in this episode well she sees an opportunity to get one over on roman finally um but also is just like all of the, the the struggle she's had this season, the lesson she learned not wasn't kind of what Caroline did, which is to just walk, take the money and walk away. It was no, I just have to double down on it. I have to be mm-hmm. even that much colder and ruthless and all that. So uh, before we go on to talk more about Shiv, uh, I had the opportunity to talk to Harriet Walter this week about uh, her role as the incomparable Caroline Collingwood. So take a listen now. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show Love to See It. Every week, we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Well, I'm welcoming the great Harriet Walter to the Still Watching podcast. Hello, Harriet. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming on. I'll try and turn off all the other beeps. <laughs> That's okay. We live in a world of beeps. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we are, uh, this episode, we're talking about episode eight, Chianti Shire, um, which I've had the privilege to watch twice now. Um, and I think... Um, it's uh, such an excellent showcase for your character, and especially there's this, you know, this sort of centerpiece moment with you and Sarah Snook kind of doing the mother-daughter relationship between Caroline and Shiv. Um, and I feel like we learned so much about both of your characters in that moment. So first, I just want to talk a little bit about filming that scene, which is just full of like the most lethal <laughs> lines, <laughs> how you prepared with Sarah and stuff. Well, it's very hard because, you know, we're pals, you know, you get pally um, and um, everybody is such a snake in this virus nest. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it, but it's a, it's a little bit deeper, that scene, than, than we've seen Caroline go. Um, we get a little bit down to the rock bottom um, and it 
I just felt, you know, she's had a bit to drink. It's a very heightened time. She's a pre-wedding night, you know, actually it's not immediately pre-wedding, but it's, it's, um, it's imminent. And I think it's a very nervous moment for her. And I think she's actually quite scared of her own children. You know, she's kind of, um, I mean, I used quite a lot of, of, of my own circumstance, like you do when you're an actor and you go, well, look, these guys have got really slick with one another. They've been doing season after season. I come in now and then, yeah. um, and I'm going to use that, that I'm a little bit out of my depth with my own kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what, what sort of seems to run through a lot of it for me is this kind of defensiveness you know if other people are stinging you you've got to be ready to sting all the time and where did that vicious circle begin I mean obviously these were infants when when I first came across them so I am responsible for putting some of the sting in their tail but um I've developed that ability um, through a mixture of my background and and my relationship with Logan you know which we never actually see on screen but you have to kind of remember that there was a good uh, 13 years 10 to 13 years of that being a household right yeah and you know you've only got to sort of witness logan uh, you know and i watch him and i go my god was i married to that you know <laughs> um how would you how would you deal with that situation yeah. so um she's got a degree i i feel quite comfortable with her sort of um her means of dealing with situations which is quite sort of um uh tra ha ha you know um swiping on the move, you know, Mm. very much sort of um, tackling on the run, you know, and she can dodge and get out of the way. But this is kind of an uncomfortable situation where she's actually pinned down and sitting down and having to almost look her daughter in the eye. Mm. And um, they both hurt one another. Everybody, you know, everybody hurts one another so much in this show and damages so many people. Um, You know, I I cringe. I, I watch it from underneath my chair <laughs> pillow over my head I, I want to cry for all of them but um yeah so there's a lot to fill in I have to sort of imagine a lot of the fill in about what it was like when I was young and what you know why I am the way I am and um you know the way you know some people have said to me oh your character really explains why those children are the way they are and I go actually I'm working the other way around I'm watching the children and I'm going, oh, that explains why I've had to be the way I am. But, yeah, you know, yeah. I obviously started it off or the parents kicked it off, but then we kind of created these monsters that are kind of, <laughs> I think the monsters are kind of way stronger than I am. And I'm kind of just treading water under there. That's part that, that might be informed by, by me being kind of out of the picture quite a lot, Harriet being out of the picture quite a lot. And therefore sort of, I'm capitalizing on the real, the reality of my, you know, how I, um, to interact with those people but, but it's but so true. there is another bit there's another bit of me that says actually she's she's smart as all get out and she can hold her own you know? well it's so true i mean because the uh there's an also there's also a, a big conversation between kendall and logan in this episode there's a lot of like parent and child confrontations right and um but to me that's such an indication of how you know, for the kids, their parents loom so large. They're these huge figures in their lives. And in both of these scenes, we see the parents. And I, I really thought so brilliantly done with Caroline going like, I was just as much a victim of my like, I feel that I was just as much a victim of my circumstance as you are saying you were. And um, 
I think like really outlining how helpless Caroline felt during the divorce with Logan and then kind of having to make really difficult decisions to protect the interests of her children and to do what was right for them while also maybe feeling, you know, as she says, like, I shouldn't have had children. Like, maybe I shouldn't have have had that role. I mean, incredible vulnerability from her to sort of say that stuff to her daughter. And then also Shiv being a married woman herself and in this place of thinking about having kids. There's some real intense resonance there. Yeah. And Shiv is such a complicated character and so perfectly played by Sarah Snook. I mean, because one minute you hate her, one minute you think, God, she's vicious. And the next minute you see this crumpled vulnerability for a second, you know, and, you know, they they are all very vulnerable and they're very wounded. Yeah. And, um, you know, they've got this skin, but, but you know, this hide, I mean, but, but actually people pierce it all the time. Yeah. Um, and so I've just got this feeling that, you know, you're right. It's great that there's a sort of mother-daughter scene juxtaposed with horrific father's father son <laughs> <laughs> that father son relationship is the most agonizing thing but um yeah i think this you know it's pretty agonizing when you see two women somehow nearly nearly getting to the mm-hmm. point because in a way the women are you know we, we expect women to be kinder mm-hmm. you know we expect a mother daughter situation to be slightly more you know um i'll admit i was wrong give us a cuddle, you know, <laughs> but, but, but father, son, that's never going to happen. Yeah. But um, there's something so painful about the fact that um, I can see this person in Shiv that, that it's actually, you know, I sort of made her the way she is in that, oh, she's very much her father's daughter. We know that, but, but uh, there's this kind of sense in which I've, I can now see that she sees that she sees me as having let her down as having abandoned her. And of course I knew that was a decision that I was, you know, I was risking that, but we're talking such huge power, you know, parents have power over children anyway, but you know, you think, why is it, why are they still in that dynamic in in their adulthood? And it's largely to do with, with the power of, of Waystar. It's largely to do with the power of the corporation that they are caught up in. If they could have walked away from it and had their own lives and grown up, that would have been a different thing, but they're still, you know, the, the infants of this, of this um, giant corporation. And and to a certain extent, Caroline's bought into that, you know, um, even though she's out of it, she's still completely sort of because of her children, she has to still play that game. Right. She has to be sort of allied to the power and the influence of the money, you know, regardless of what her relationship is with Logan. Um, and, and, you know, there's a sense in which, you know, she was probably very excited by that when she was young. I mean, she didn't walk in blind. I mean, I think she was a, a young woman who wanted a bit of a, you know, dangerous life and uh, adventures, you know, more than more than the sort of what the luxury that money could buy. She was more, I mean, none of them are really into, I mean, they do talk about watches and cars and things, but, but, but really it's about the power, not, 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 not what the money can buy in terms of hardware, you know? Yeah. And it's actually considering that it's interesting to think about where Caroline is in this episode where she's looking, she's about to get married to this other man who is so different from Logan and has such a, like represents such a different set of like, maybe even personal beliefs because he's like 
let's have a good time. I haven't been great at business. I love you. Like there's this, you know, there's something a little bit happy go lucky about it. Um, and even though Caroline's able to say to to Roman and, and to show at different points, like, oh, like he's such a ghastly. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't think she really believes that. I mean, she can she's she's sort of um, it's like she wants to get in with her kids, you know, she wants if you only see your kids seldom, you know, um, and we know that it it's more complicated than that she walked out on them, you know, is it, you know, mm-hmm. there's a huge story behind, I think, which, which yeah. we haven't really gone into, but is hinted at in that scene um, about, you know, the way she was sort of bought out in a way. Um, yeah. And, you know, at the time probably felt that sacrificing that was worth it. She was just choking. Um, and, and um, so to find someone who's just, you know, a flip-flop you know who kind of is actually quite fun and you know we'll we'll get on fine because I've got some dough you know right um but but I I want to get you know you want to sort of keep in with your kids and 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 be somebody that they want to visit and want to see so I do sort of crack jokes with them and say you know I know he's awful isn't he ghastly but actually you know, because I, I'm sort of reading it through their eyes, but I think actually, you know, she doesn't care if he's wears ghastly clothes. <laughs> right, she's so taken. He's, yeah. he's fun and he adores her, and you know, we can yeah. we can go to Italy, and she she makes out like she doesn't care about those things and didn't want it, but I think she probably feels very happy. You know, something we talked about um, is that as Caroline is sort of, you know, with her kind of buffoon husband, who's very, who seems very nice, Shiv has this buffoon husband as well, who is also very nice and loves her a lot. But there's maybe a lot more tension between those two about whether or not that relationship is working for them. Um, So that seems to be part of this conversation that they're having, too, is um, uh, I almost feel like Caroline's saying to Shiv, like, great, like, be happy, you know, don't do the kid thing. I don't think it would, you know, you don't seem to think it'd be a good idea for you. I had reservations myself. Go live your life. Enjoy your money. Like, this is this is the point. Yeah. And and Shiv's Shiv's response is totally opposite, I think, of maybe what Caroline intended, where she's like, she's oh, a bit insensitive to, to what Shiv's where Shiv's at. She doesn't right. really know what that relationship's about. She, you know. She was yeah. there at the wedding and presumably knows a bit about it, but she she hasn't, you know, it, it's a strange role to play, both as 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 Harriet and as Caroline, that you kind of you kind of skate alongside occasionally this family saga and and all these intricate relationships. There's no way she knows what's going on between Tom and Shiv. Right. And and it is so complicated, that relationship. Yeah. And so sort of ghastly true. Um <laughs> and and you know, the, there might be a recognition in in Caroline of what, you know, that she probably had some boyfriends like that, you yeah. know, I'm sure. Okay. Um, but she just um she's in such a different place in her life, it's very hard for her to uh, you know, say the right thing to someone who's right at that point of decision as to whether to have children or not. And, um, you know, it, it's almost, it's tantalizing because you think, come on, Caroline, take that mask down and t- look her in the eye and brave it out and yeah. and tell her what happened to you, you know, because she just hints at it and they just sort of stab at one another and, into one another and then it kind of goes all wrong and they've missed the moment yeah they'll try again I'm sure <laughs> they'll try again. you know that's what families do they keep trying 
that's such an incredible way of putting it. The stabbing at each other. At some point, Shiv says House of Flying Daggers about her relationship with her mom. I thought that was so good. And then even when you're talking, you say, oh, you always knew how to twist the knife. Like they're they're all both so knives out with each other because they're so defensive. And of course they would be like they have all of these unspoken feelings towards each other that they haven't really been able to express you know you can see in that moment Shiv feels abandoned by her mother even if she can intellectually understand you know what was happening at the time she felt too young to make that decision and and Caroline knows Caroline knows that she was young to make that decision but she didn't have a choice like she had to you know that divorce proceeding had to happen it's um it's so painful and the fact that they can't really connect is ultimately I think the the saddest part of the whole of the whole yes yeah I think it's interesting that actually you know I think it does happen in the dynamics of a family that that um, somebody of 13, you know, Shiv says, I was just 10. And I go, well, you were 13. Mm. Somebody of 13, although they're incredibly vulnerable and don't know anything about the world, um, they've got a lot of smarts, actually. And if she is very much Logan's daughter, which I feel she is. Um, I agree. I yeah. think you know there are kind of dynamics within a family where you can sort of have a two against one kind of dynamic. And I think, um, you know, my imagination tells me that that Shiv was quite a handful and really could cut cut uh, Caroline to the quick. Oh. And, um, you know, but, but, but it's very funny. It's sort of like you can't lay that on a daughter. You can't, you know, it's inappropriate mm. to say, even though, but, you know, she's an adult now. You could say, listen, you were really hard, hard to Mm-hmm. Hard to deal with you, you know. You, um, but Shiv will always see it as you know. I was the one in the vulnerable place, so it's it's a it's a really interesting. You know, can I talk to the adult now, please? You know, can we can we go past that moment? Um, and that's happening throughout the family and all the dynamics between Logan and his sons, and you know, it's you know they cannot get past that infantile, needy place. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's fascinating. Yeah, it does feel like all of the children are so stuck, especially maybe right now in this moment, but they all seem to be so stuck in these in these child or adolescent roles and like really needing this care from their parents. And and it's not entirely fair on the parents. Like you you can't you're not <laughs> we're just we're just fucked up people as well <laughs> exactly <laughs> but yeah. i do think that i think you know what, what sort of my heart lifts when 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 um kendall says you know i want out mm. you go yeah go on just get out you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and then it all goes sort of caves in again but um yeah no it's you a- want that for them don't you? you want them to get out of it and, oh, for and, sure. and also I love Kendall sort of saying, you know, I'm a better person than you. I want, you know, the aspiration to actually be a, a decent person because it's such poison living with yourself as a shit. That's what, that's where my, when I, you know, cause I'm in this funny position where I can watch it as a TV watcher because right. I'm not in it often enough to kind of get that kind of um, shock. Oh my God, that's me. Um, <laughs> Uh, so I can watch it as an objective viewer. And I think that's where my heart gets completely boiled up is, is in this sort of that they are so unhappy living with themselves with all the horrible things they've done and the things that because they can. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that actually I think most human beings want to feel they've been good and kind and made the world a better place. I think most people feel they want to do that. And I love that, that um, Kendall, keeps expressing that, you know, and sort of wants to be um, 
mm-hmm. and wants to sort of be the opposite of his dad in that way. Um, it, it's funny you say that because <laughs> it's so funny you say that because Caroline, when she like receives Kendall, is is not really expressing any of that <laughs> warmth or or enthusiasm. She's like, "What did you do to your hair?" <laughs> and then. You know, I, I thought it, I, I just, so the body language between all of you is so telling, you know, like Kendall walks up and there's this moment where they're just standing together on the lawn and it's like, uh, it's her wedding. You're, you're her, his mom. Like you haven't seen each other, but it's like, it takes a moment. And then finally there's a little peck on the cheek and it's like, oh my God. <laughs> she does actually do a lot of, uh, she, that's what I find really interesting. They, they've written for me that, that I do quite a lot of sort of, hello, darling, mm-hmm. you know, mm. And I do that, but it's like it lasts for a second and it's a sort of it's an act out thing. I mean, I don't yeah. think she doesn't. Of course, she. I think she feels affection for these people. Of course. You know? of course but, yeah. but I also think that she feels, thank God I'm nowhere near that. You know, <laughs> I, I think I think there's some of, the, of that. And yeah. but I but I, I I think that some, you know, I when I say I think she's frightened of them. Yeah. Um, there's a sort of slightly missing link, which, which I've mentioned in other interviews when people have have mentioned that scene in, in season two, where um, I'm just, I, Caroline just avoids the meeting with, with Kendall when he's so in need of it. Yeah. Yeah. And she promises him a talk over breakfast and then she just isn't there. Yeah. And that's a very sort of ghastly memorable moment that people keep bringing up for me. But what I want to say is that, in season one, there was a little bit that that didn't didn't make it into the final cut, mm. where Kendall criticizes Caroline quite a lot. Says she's he's been going to a, to a shrink and and mm. sort of airing how ghastly I've been, you know. Mm. And so right at the beginning of that scene in season two, I say, are, you, are we going to talk about how ghastly, you know, how, what an awful mother I've been? So she avoids him because she thinks he's going to just criticize her. She doesn't. Right. She doesn't know he needs help because he's drowned somebody in a river she doesn't know that <laughs> do, do you see what I mean so um yeah it's yeah. like the audience are on his side because they know that story and they want what he wants from me and then they think god how terribly cruel she walks away from it but from my point of view from Caroline's point of view she thinks what's he going to give me now some other mm-hmm. sort of Freudian, Freudian thing about how I didn't you know milk him enough or whatever. <laughs> please, you know please don't give me that you know what I mean so that's no, that's what's sure. going on with her Noah for sure and I, I love hearing how how complex all these uh these moments are and that you're holding you know you're holding them all in your mind it must be so weird to be a viewer of the show and then to like have to step into the world of it I can't imagine it's it's wonderful in a way because I can make use of it you see yeah. because yeah. just as Caroline is sort of only consulted now and then and and uh, you know but and, mm. and you know I loved it in in season two where she's sort of playing exactly that game and saying well let me show you how much your father cares about you mm. he's willing to give up Christmas with you in order mm. to save a house you know I, I wanted you know Caroline wants to demonstrate that to them, which is quite cruel but at the same time it's kind of defensive it's you know you lay a lot on me but I'm going to show you what your dad's like you know yeah and and then there's also, you know, perhaps a genuine pleasure that they might come to see her for Christmas. You know, we, we don't know. Yeah. But yeah. then, you know, <laughs> so so I watch these things. I watch these intricate transactions with the pierces, with the with the takeovers, with the you know, with the horrible, cruel games that Logan plays on his kids, and yeah. and I watch all that without you know, with with the with the sort of 
the eyes of you or me watching. And then I sort of have to step in and join the party. <laughs> and like a it, it's, entering. It's a, pleasure. it's a pleasure because it's, you know, who, who, who's, who's going to not like being in Italy for a start, you know, and oh. seeing, you know, meeting up with these great actors and great people once every couple of years. You know? Yeah, you get to like put on your snake costume and enter the pit yeah. of vipers. Like it's crazy. It's crazy. It seems really fun. Um, well, we've uh, we're already out of time, but Harriet, thank you so much thank for you. sharing. I just have to say, I'm such a fan of your work, so I really Hi. appreciate it, thank and you. it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So it's kind of amazing that this tense conversation with Caroline um, is followed up with Shiv going to Tom, saying that she wants to have a baby, and couching all of her um, all of her desire to have a child in terms of how can I dominate the company and win? Correct. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that and that seems to be uh, fueling her sexual desire too. Like she she shows up and she's she's like loose and uh, she's uh, starting to drink and kind of enjoying the fantasy of her power so much that she's she's just horrible to Tom. And 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 as you were saying before, we. This is a, a a dynamic that they've had before, but she fully destroys him here, right? Like she's like, "Oh, I don't love you." Like inches from his face while they're in the middle of like are about to have sex, like holy crap. And you can see, I mean, you can see Matthew McFadden just collapsing when she does this. I don't love you, but you love me anyway. You know, like that that that's such oh. a that, what an insane <laughs> thing to say to someone as like that's a real turn on. <laughs> <laughs> that this is such an imbalanced relationship, you know, um, because the sad thing is, I think Tom really does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you can see it. You know, we've um, uh, on the Internet. There's been a lot of talk about Matthew McFadden's like Emmy reels and stuff this season. I, I, I mean, I think he's an incredible performer. And I think in a scene like this, you know, um, the person who is he's he's passive he's often passive in in scenes with the roys because that's that's the family he married into so he's he's just reacting he just has to like hold everything that's being thrown at him and the gulf between him and shiv that grows starting with that scene and continuing into the next morning is like so uncomfortable and sad for everyone involved where it just sort of seems like increasingly Shiv's not even a person. Like she she's not a person with feelings that he can even connect to. I mean, oh my God, the conversation about having a baby that she somehow pivots immediately into freezing her eggs for 10 years. I don't know how to explain. It's just like human beings don't talk like that about how, when they decide to have children. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, she's she is on a different level. She's on a different level. Um and, you know, I'm always talking about wardrobe with Shiv, but the contrast between the dress at the beginning of the episode, she's wearing this like blue, uh, you know, uh, strapless, uh, sleeveless, like midi number, like sweetheart neckline, super feminine, beautiful blue uh, floral. It kind of like stands out when they're, you know, with uh, when they're all walking through this town together, like her, the blue of her dress, like really pops. And she seems so... Um, she seems so like uh uh revealed in this in this dress. 
And then the next day, what is she wearing? She's wearing black pinstripes, like like a suit, like a man's mm-hmm. suit, but a, a woman's version of a man's suit. But there's something almost like too much about it. You're like, stop trying so hard, Shiv. Sure. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, looks like she's like clocking in for work at the Death Star, you know? <laughs> like, um, it is funny, though, you know, thinking about Shiv and Tom uh, and this conversation that Shiv has with her mom and her mom's about to marry this bozo and Shiv has her own bozo as she sees it, you know, and I, I think that 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 mother and daughter are sort of more similar than maybe Shiv realizes. Um, but what she wants to do with her kind of puppet guy object thing, you know, is she wants to kind of hold on to him because he's easy, you know, and and she's talking about well, we're, we're, when she's you know before, right before they have sex, she's you know monologuing to Tom about. Um, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take it over and we're going to tear down. We're going to cha- overhaul the, the the news network or no, we're going to burn it all down. And Tom's like, but, but uh, save me, right? Like, you know, Tom <laughs> has his own little agenda in the way that Peter does about getting a lordship or whatever. Um, and, uh, and she hears it. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. Um, but, but Shiv, I think m- much younger than her mother, like realizes like, oh, I have my Peter, you know, and I'm just going to hold on to him. And I'm going to, m- much like, you know, Caroline says of Logan, like she's going to keep kicking Tom to see if he comes back and Tom keeps coming back. Uh, I don't know how long that's going to last. I it, just based on the look on his face, I just feel like it could not possibly uh, go, this. This should not go on longer. He he looks dead inside. Um, there are some really interesting like windows into this dating dynamic as well in the conversations they have with Greg about the dating ladder um, and like kind of both of them both Shiv and Tom but it's maybe more driven by Shiv than I expected kind of like getting into his head about his crush on um on Comfrey and kind of encouraging him to flirt with this other woman um be and and to use the relationship with Comfrey as an advantage uh as like a leg up to dating other people because that's what dating is about <laughs> right uh- <laughs> and that conversation is born out of Greg saying something sincere like yeah she's great but like i don't know there's not like depth there like i don't feel this like real connection and he's saying it a bit just you know derisively about comfrey but but he what he really means is like yeah it's nice that i'm seeing this pretty woman but like i kind of wish we had more to talk about and more in common and 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 they immediately are like well why would you care about that Right. She's a, she is a you know a rung to be stepped upon and then to to advance you know and um and uh, it just watching other you know not innocence certainly but uh, you know sort of non family people or less you know not immediate family people just be dragged into the Roy nihilism uh, over and over again is is depressing and someone has to get out and maybe it's <laughs> Tom they've certainly laid the groundwork for that Greg maybe too I I don't know but like um, this episode so much you know really rams home like how toxic this family is and how they really have no perspective that could ever lead them out of this toxicity um and so anyone who isn't immediately attached to them should just run for the hills well and it's such an it's such an it's so fascinating that there's so many uh 
plots about relationships all stacked on top of each other in this episode because it's Caroline and Peter's wedding. You've got Shiv and Tom and this terrifying thing that they're doing. Greg and his dating ladder. And then uh, there's Connor and Willa who, oh God, yeah. who are like, I mean, and they're, and I think what's really interesting about his, you know, so Connor gets down on one knee, proposes, but the whole time he's proposing, he's sort of like talking to his, through his teeth, like literally talking through his teeth to Willa being like, I know this isn't exactly the thing. I know this isn't exactly the thing, but this is what my image needs. And it's this weird, like, um, it's almost like the simulation has become aware for him where everyone is in these relationships of convenience all around him. And Connor's like, I know this is a relationship of convenience. Like it has some affection too, but let's make this official. <laughs> where, whereas Willa is like, well, we could just go back to being discreet, you know, like come to my apartment. It would be kind of romantic. And like, She's essentially saying, let's go back to the transactional sex work relationship we had in the beginning. And then his idea is to go the complete opposite direction. You know, he's like, you know, people are sniffing around. They're asking questions about your uh, past employment. And you're like, okay, here's and, and Willa kind of anticipates it. Like, oh, that's why she says we can go back to being discreet. But instead, Connor, cognizant of the fact that people might figure out how they met each other, it's like, no, let's again, like Shiv, let's double down. Let's <laughs> let's lean further into this. Um, and she is horrified and embarrassed. Mm, I think she's gonna do it by the end. Yeah, yeah. She, because she seems sort of open to it. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's sort of interesting to think. Like, does the fact that Connor is like more aware of what he's doing, uh, with this uh, proposed marriage, make it any better? <laughs> I, I'm not convinced it does. So you know, there's like a social etiquette rule about like not wearing white shoes after labor day or whatever is there any sort of you know aristocratic code about proposing to your partner at your mom's wedding <laughs> i know very very sort of scene stealing of him like stay in your lane connor wait your turn i think that ultimately to go back to shiv for a second because i feel like i'm still noodling on this I don't fully believe Shiv that she doesn't love Tom. Like, I think we should take her at her word about what she feels towards him. But I also feel she's completely dependent on him. She needs to use him in order to feel whole. Um, and I uh, I sort of feel like this pivot towards cruelty that, that's happened after the conversation with her mother is is really the thing that it is really the thing to take away from what she's doing. It's almost like she's she's choosing to say these really terrible things to Tom now and I, I there's something there's something there, there's something cooking to, to for her. Um and well, I'm a little f- afraid of what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah, I I don't think anything good is going to happen, but like <laughs> yeah, I, Shiv is lonely. All these people are lonely, you know, right, and right. and you know, at the top of the episode she's you know, licking her wounds in bed, watching some sort of cooking show. She's supposed to be at this big meeting and Tom is calling her. Tom is calling her and saying like, where are you? Like, here's the update. I'm walking to the thing, you know, and he's, he's caring for her in a way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, later on, Shiv sees her mom marrying this buffoon who's just after her money or her, her access to, you know, Logan or whatever. Um, and, and, and she's expressed, Caroline has expressed like, I know he's a jerk, but like, he's somebody and Shiv is realizing I have somebody, you know, and, um, in this shows 
very, very limited uh, capacity for warmth or anything. There is something a little bit, not sweet, but but um, human about the way that Shiv, for all of her mistreatment of Tom, like does need him, and and maybe is not admitting that to herself, but like because the alternative is to be fully alone, and um, that's what I mean. And very few people really want that. Mm. Yeah, it does. It, it you know, and we so we've talked about Roman, and we've talked about Shiv, um, and kind of the way that they've internalized Logan in different ways. I feel like has come out in this in this episode. Um, uh, the way that they try to get away with things, or the way that they start to be cruel to the things they love. Um, and so with with that in mind, it's very interesting. And, and again, I thought the way that this episode structured this was so well too, which is you go straight from this unexpected parent uh child uh reunion that um is like unexpectedly very revealing you cut from that straight to the highly anticipated showdown between the other the big parent and child dynamic in this show between Kendall and Logan and it's it's such a one two punch because you have this like the very you know i mean you have the sort of feminine sphere and the sort of masculine sphere um but the way that Kendall tries to approach his father and tries to sort of reframe things on his own terms in, in sort of a more, um, if not exactly loving, um, although I do think he is loving at times, but at least in a more sort of like considered sort of measured way, like by having this dinner. And I, I, I cannot, I, I, every part of me just felt like shriveling up and dying during the whole pasta thing. Um, there is just no... There's just no ability to trust in, you know, in between these two people, but none of, you know, Logan's giving him nothing to work with. And there's something so revolting about the way that this pasta dish and the possibility of Kendall poisoning him turns into Logan demonstrating that he's willing to use his grandson, White Iverson, um, as as a a warm body disposable poison testing guy. Um, <laughs> yeah. Holy crap! Like, yeah. oh my god. What I think is so brilliant about this episode, well, one of the things that's brilliant about this episode, which was written by Jesse Armstrong, um, is that we've been anticipating this reunion of sorts whole all season, you know, mm-hmm. and. It's it be it it starts to seem in the episode because you know Caroline tells Kendall, uh, look, your dad doesn't want to be near you, so you have to go scurry away when certain events are happening. But it'll just be a few hours, don't worry. And Kendall's really upset about that. He comes back, confronts his father, says like, you know, blah blah. We're anticipating a big blow up, but yeah. instead, it's this quiet, despondent, chilling interaction where there's. There are moments of humanity where, like, Logan's like, well, maybe they could make some food that's good for me or whatever. You know, like, he's like, I'm vulnerable. I'm mortal. You know, whatever. And, and Kendall's like, please just let me go. Give me my two bill. <laughs> just like, I just want out. Um, right. I, I think that's such a better way or, or such a, a more credible way for how this would go than if they were screaming at each other. You know, Kendall is so tired and hurt uh, in such a bone deep way and, and still yet has the capacity to say to his father, I don't want you dead. If you, uh, if you, when you go, I'm going to be bereft. You know, I, I forget the exact terminology. Broken. He says broken. broken. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe that, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um, so while we're on the topic of Kendall, um, I wanted to turn back to our emails um, mm. because we got two different emails 
uh, on the matter of Kendall um, based on last week's episode, which we have now officially dubbed the saddest episode of Succession ever, although this one gives it a run for its money. But um, (laughs) so two emailers, uh, Tanya and Carrie, both said similar things. Tanya wrote, Another throwaway visual element that supports the possible suicide, I guess there is an ongoing theory that Kendall might die by suicide at the end of the season, is when the siblings arrive at the the title of the party in last week's episode is Notorious K-E-N Ready to Die, which is, uh, you know, invoking Mm. the title of Notorious B.I.G.'s last album um, before he was killed. Um, So there seems to be mounting uh, circumstantials evidence or whatever that that this might be the bitter end for kendall and i think the final shot of this episode made me agree with these fan theories from tanya and carrie and other people how do you feel about that very dire prediction um i i wouldn't say that i'm okay so what a final shot i i mean i think that there's there's definitely the, something has to die. Some some part of Kendall definitely has to die. In that moment, Kendall is 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 seems to be uh trying to experience an understanding of the drowning death that he put on the caterer um from season one. You know, Logan brings that up in the conversation and And Comfrey brings it up too. And Comfrey brings it up too, right? Because someone's doing a podcast. Um, the final, I mean, I think that that final moment is is very much intended for us to imagine Kendall's death. Is what I mean to say. To to you see him from underneath. It's this incredible underwater shot. You can see the air coming out of his nostrils, even like you can see the bubbles coming out of it, and he's kind of like his head sort of like limp and he's like lolling around in the in the water um and at the same time the colors are sort of like neon and bright and sort of hopeful and to me i i mean i think that i i think that the there's not it's it's not nothing that there's something about death that Kendall has been holding on to for this for this season um because Logan too Logan is obsessed with the idea that Kendall's trying to kill him right like there's there's this sort of like one of us has to go energy um here. But what I'm sort of hoping is that what what I mean I'm and I'm going to feel really dumb if I'm wrong, but I guess what I'm sort of hoping is that what we're trying what we're trying to isolate here is some part of Kendall, the part of Kendall that continues to be so loyal to his father at his the expense of his own sanity and health. That's the part that needs to die. That's the part that needs to go. And you can see him really struggling and almost succeeding here. Like I, I, you know, he's he's trying really hard to be compassionate toward his, towards his father, to no longer like enter the dynamic of conflict. You know, to come to 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 not try to put them at loggerheads against each other, but rather to sort of um, engage with him in a sort of like constructive way. Like, what if I just go? Like, we don't we don't we should not do this bullshit anymore. You know, is what he says. He tries to tell his father that he loves him, you know, in this in this way of saying that he'll be broken when he's gone. And even Logan gets like a little close to it. Like he says something like sort of offhand, like, oh, maybe I want to keep you close. And that's why I'm not going to let you divest from the company, to which I think Kendall is sort of understandably like you have to decide whether or not you want me as a son or don't want me as a son. But this is not working. This thing where you just jerk me around endlessly 
so that I'm constantly worried about what you're going to think and don't have a sense of my own self and like my own independence. Um, that that just cannot work forever. And then I think like the thing that really hits home, what Logan says, is when they start talking about like the moral dimension of 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 Kendall and Logan Roy. Um, Kendall's sort of trying to assert to Logan that he thinks that Logan's a bad person. Um, and then like sort of becomes defensive and a little childish by being like, oh, well, I'm better than you. Like you, you're a bad guy and you do things that are bad and I'm better than you. And Logan's like, are you? Like, what about mm-hmm. that guy that you fucking killed? Yeah. <laughs> what, like, how long was he drowning in that water? And that, and that, as it should, that really hits home for Kendall. Um, and he makes these nasty insinuations, like, were you trying to fuck him? Are you queer? Right. You know, just, which he just, knows that's not what's happened. Or was it just the drugs? You know, right. he's basically saying Kendall to, to Kendall, this is how they'll talk about it if it comes out, by the way, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and um, and to use that as leverage. And I, I think that there is some. This show for its run has been so good about virtual characters, people we don't meet or kind of maybe briefly meet, but but are really just spoken of. Um, mm. You know, I think Iverson and Sophie, the, Kendall's children, they appear in physical form in this episode in, in heartbreaking fashion. Um, but Rose is also invoked the lost sister of Logan who, you know, it's his mm. rosebud or whatever, like, you know, the mm. thing he's very sensitive about Comfrey mentions like, and someone named Rose, you know, mm. these people are haunted by the past. And, and the waiter certainly is one of these people now. Um, and, and they, they have that leverage on each other and they can torture each other with that. And Logan's saying, well, maybe I'll keep you around in the same way that Roman said to Shiv on the, on the jet over to Italy, like, no, maybe I'll just have you be my secretary or whatever. That mm-hmm. is a fate wor- worse than death for them, is is being the sort of, you know, um, uh, what's the Theon Greyjoy, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, uh, that and, and that's why I kind of think Kendall, you know, he, he's, he's, he's tried all the options um, of escape, and maybe he sees that there is only one true escape from all of this that would um, absolve him not absolve him, but sort of free him from all these concerns, free him from the looming sort of Damocles about this, this death that he caused. Uh, and I don't know, I, I'm, I'm kind of wholeheartedly uh, on board with the idea that he will not survive this season because mm. what other option does he see that he, you know, that does he think he has, you know? Mm. No, it's, I mean, yeah, it's interesting to think about, especially because the idea of the, the truth coming out here, I mean, as someone, you know, I mean, I guess if I were to, like, be giving Kendall advice about something, I I mean, this is obviously there would be so much trouble that would be caused with this, too. But I do think the truth, telling the truth about what happened with the caterer could set him free. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Um, And he would go to prison, maybe, or, you know, and it would also effectively bring down the family because they covered it up, you know. Right. No, for sure. And 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 that's such an interesting story too though right because you start with a season with i mean you or you ended last season really with kendall saying you know to logan an essential fuck you i'm not gonna be your guy who takes the fall for this like i am i am a person um and i think moving from that to this conversation with logan where again logan really asserts his like i am your dad and i I, he says you're my son i did my best and wherever you fucked up i cleaned up your shit and regardless of what Kendall thinks of Logan and regardless of what we think of Logan, we cannot argue with the fact that Logan provides for him as a father, right? Logan has provided for him as a father. 
and has cleaned up his shit in the past. Like, we know, you know, that this caterer incident was not Kendall's, like, first addiction meltdown or whatever you want to call it. Um, mm. I I think that, like, asserting that sort of, like, filial obligation in Kendall is uh, taking Kendall to a really difficult place of, like, he really wants to be loyal to his dad. He really wants to be a good son. And then he also has these other feelings that make him think that he's not being a good person anymore, um, that maybe he needs to be free of this, free of free of the way that his dad frames power and the way that uh, val- human value is assigned based on based on money. Um, so so that that was actually where I ended the the episode. I was I was thinking, well, there's this podcast now, apparently, and it, it maybe maybe the reason that Kendall's in this pool and 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 kind of re reimagining this drowning of this of his victim is to try to understand that his own culpability and maybe how he can take responsibility um, for what he's done instead of trying to push it onto his father being the bad person, you know? Yeah. And and I think that it's really crucial uh, sort of symbolically that um, the children, Iverson and Sophie, are there in this final pool scene. Um, mm. The You know, Iverson in particular, who is this sweet, seeming shy kind of kid. And that the cycle needs to be broken. There cannot be another generation of right. Roy children who are so poisoned and ruined by um, the the amorality, the ruthlessness, the sociopathy of this family. Um, and so whatever the outcome is that Kendall sees is, uh, and maybe sees at the bottom of that pool, uh, whether it's going public with this and bringing himself and everyone else down with him, whether it's death, I don't know. Um, but I, I think that, uh, I don't know. I sort of have hope that some that you know the wheel will be broken. Is that that's a Game of Thrones term, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to break the wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to sort of break the cycle. Um, it is so interesting tra- marking the trajectory of Kendall with his kids in this season. You know, we never really got the full story from them about how they feel about the bunny. Um, and I I feel bad. You know, I feel bad for them. Um, having it's interesting to imagine what their lives are like. Like, I can't even imagine what people at school must say to them, you know, about about this, like, very public family that they have. Um, but their presence in this episode does feel so important. Um, yeah. They've been so background for so much of the season. And then even in this episode, there's a very funny moment where Kendall's like, hey, kids, kids, where are you? <laughs> and Roman's like, oh, look, Kendall's lost his kids again. Um but then in this essential moment where they're in this beautiful place and they're trying to relax, you know, the day before their grandmother's, you know, second wedding or whatever it is, um, he's there. He's a present father. That's not nothing. It's not nothing. Yeah. And, you know, the kids have to, Iverson has to have a weird little interaction with scary grandpa. Um, mm. But that's a lot of kids are scared of their grandparents, you know, like, <laughs> like, it's a very normal thing. And you just I think it's so good that the kids are in this episode because you're like, Oh God! Like not them too. Like don't 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 drag them into this horrible mess more than they already are. And um, I just at the end of this episode, and we'll see what happens in the finale. I'm just like, as long as those two kids are okay, right? And how awful! I mean, if Kendall were to you know commit suicide as as the theory as the theory goes, like how awful for them that would be. Just yeah. like a completely devastating. So so my hope, you know, my hope is that. 
again, I mean, this moment, um, and I, the, so the director of this episode is Mark Mylod. Um, this, the way that that image, that final image is constructed, I think sort of gives us so much to, to feel about, about how to move on. And, and I, I think this is all sort of built into it. Um, the, even the beer bottle floating upside down was so striking to me um, because we know that Kendall has the struggles with addiction and it, it just sort of uh, there's something about being suspended in between all of these different states and kind of not knowing where to move forward. Um, you know, it made me think a little bit of the the hanged man card and the tarot deck, which is sort of famously kind of like a spiritual crisis. Um, and it just to me, it just sort of sent like Kendall was just hanging like he just he just doesn't know where to go and what to do, but he's also maybe having an, a moment of of understanding of of maybe something more profound than he's been able to understand before. Can I wildly overinterpretate? Uh, inter- interpretate? That's not a word. It, it, overinterpret. Thank <laughs> yes, you. Yes, please, um, please. The way he's lying on that pool floaty with his limbs dangling off—that's apparently what you're not supposed to do when you're surfing because you look like a seal or an injured seal to sharks. <laughs> So he's like kind of exposing himself to whatever may come. And all the kids see is just dad with a beer bottle, like in the pool, you know, like, like all of this Sturm and Drang that's happening within Kendall that we are, have borne witness to over the season and past seasons from the outside. It's just like, it's just humanity. It's just a person, you know? And, and I, I, I don't know. I hope that Kendall can snap into some realization that like, yes, there's money and power on the table, but like none of it, really matters ultimately um and so maybe making himself vulnerable like that is not a sign of impending doom but of impending rescue i don't know we'll see (laughs) uh well speaking of that um we should talk a little bit about next week's episode um hbo will not be giving us the finale in advance so we will be talking about this bright and early monday morning um to get it into your ears as soon as possible after the finale um but we'll be watching it live with you guys and very exciting um joy press our contributor um will be interviewing jeremy strong for the final episode um we've talked to almost everyone else we could get for the cast this season but obviously we haven't talked to kendall yet um we're very excited for the big fish as they say and maybe we'll get a lot of insight you know into this like famously method actor doing this uh, pretty deep stuff in this in this role, especially at the end of the season. Uh, until then, uh, you can once again email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your theories, your thoughts, your concerns, everything related to uh, this episode and the whole season because uh, we're nearing the end. Um, you can also text us, uh, go to joinsubtext.com slash stillwatching or you can text 213-652-6717. Sonia. Until the finale, where can people find you? Um, I assume that I will be emotionally humiliating my husband in private and then tweeting about it um, at Sonia Soraya or on VF.com. <laughs> and I will be at some small town Italian cafe just watching the bachelorette parties go by, because why not? Uh, and you can find me at, on Twitter at Rylaws and uh, writing things on VF.com. Uh, as ever, this episode was edited and produced by Dave Gonzalez. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for listening and see you next week for the finale. <laughs>